This is the Endangered Species Podcast, a podcast by aspiring men for aspiring men from Phoenix, Arizona. This is Sean Bollendorf along with my co-host, Logan Bonjean. Yep, happy to be here. <laughs> Glad to have you, my man. We are here to get the godly man off of the endangered species list. So, dude, I appreciate you being my teammate in this venture. And we appreciate you guys, man. It's so good to have you guys tuning in. Every week we get texts emails and some calls, even some reach outs through Instagram, guys saying that they've appreciated the pod, the content, etc. Guys, we make mistakes every week, as you know, so we'll take negative feedback as well as positive. We want to talk about the things you want to talk about. So please shoot us any kind of thoughts that you have. How can they reach us, Logan? Yeah, endangered species podcast at gmail.com is an awesome way. Or if you follow Sean on Instagram, you could send him a DM. Um, yeah, we like Sean said, we make plenty of mistakes and we're super imperfect and um, just the nature of this podcast, we're having a conversation about it. We're trying to work through it. So we want you guys to be a part of that conversation too. Absolutely. We're talking about an issue that I think is extremely important for young men, uh, especially young, God-fearing, aspiring, godly men. Uh, I think back to myself in my 20s, Logan, I loved God. I loved Jesus. I loved his word. I liked to pray. I knew how to fellowship. I wanted to make a difference for Christ in this world. I wanted to do damage to the kingdom of darkness. I had the right heart in all of these things. I was incredibly naive about money. I was financially illiterate. When I married my wife, I didn't know what I was doing. She said as much. I ended up getting a mentor. I've shared that on other episodes uh, but last week we talked about the philosophies of money, kind of more the philosophical side, what the Bible says about our attitude about money. Is it wrong uh, to be rich? Is it make you a health and wealth uh, preacher or someone who subscribes to health and wealth theology? Uh, if you are wealthy, what does the Bible say about that? We covered all that last week. This week we're going to talk practicals. We're going to talk about how to master money before it masters you. We're going to talk about living on a budget. We're going to talk about telling every dollar where to go. Uh, I think you guys are going to love this week if you've been waiting for the practicals. We prepared it the best we could for our younger selves. And in Logan's case, he is his younger self. Yep, I am. Let's talk practicals. Um, last time, last episode, we mentioned becoming financially literate. What do you mean by becoming financially literate? What even is that? Well, when you take an adult who is illiterate to just reading English, say, what do they see when that person stares at a page? What does he or she see? They just see blurry lines. They, they don't see anything that makes sense. They, yes, they see the same thing you and I see on the one hand, but on the other hand, they, they don't. It's just staring back up at them as a meaningless alphabet soup. It's a mess. There are no words and there are thus no pictures in their minds that are drawn from those words. When someone is financially illiterate, they might look at, for example, just a simple balance sheet for a company. If you've never learned to read a balance sheet, if you've never learned um, basic real estate terms, if you've never gone and learned simply what an asset is versus a liability, these are some different terms that would make one financially literate. And if, as I just said, those things, you went, uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. You yeah, might as well have what? been talking about moon dust. <laughs> Speaking a different language. Right. 
then that would mean you're financially illiterate because those are some very basic things. So when I talk about financial literacy, and I'm no financial advisor, okay? We should we should say that up front. Neither one of us are professional financial I'm advisors. <laughs> we would never pose as one. Um, but if you have financial literacy, you can navigate in the world of money. And the world of money is all about math. But there are rules and there are terms that help you play that game. And if you don't understand what those words and those terms mean, then you are toast. I remember the first time I played Settlers of Catan. Okay. Lo- Is it Catan or Catan? I never know, man. Dude, I say both, honestly. Do you? But me and my roommates during quarantine last year got so, so into it. So deep. <laughs> I had never, it's been around forever. I had never played it before until last year. Really? Yeah. It probably took off during COVID. Um, I still don't know how to play it. I play it just frequently enough that I don't understand what's going on. I know it's not a confusing game. I literally play it once a year. Like somebody will pull me in at a Christmas party or something. I'm one who likes to watch such games because I either want to be great at it. I love Monopoly because I'm pretty good. I get beat by great players, but I beat bad players, so I hold my own. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to something like Settlers, I just don't even really want to learn it, you know? And so I am illiterate when it comes to the rules. And I got to tell you, when I play Settlers, I get killed. Not just because of my inexperience, but because I don't know the language. I don't know what's valuable. I don't know what's not valuable. Therefore, I don't know the strategies. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens out there in the world of money. I see young, God-fearing, godly men who start studying the Bible and realizing, man, I need to handle money better. I need to handle money how God wants me to. I need to view money how God wants me to. Well, that's a great start, but there are rules in the world set in place by powers greater than you and I. Yeah. <laughs> um, that we better understand, otherwise we're going to get squashed by. And so it's very important, I believe, to learn how to master money before it masters you. But to me, the first step is you got to go and learn what scripture says about money. Yeah, You don't go and learn what the world says about money. You don't value the world like the world values money. It's so interesting reading through Proverbs, how often Proverbs warns against putting your trust in wealth and not just in Proverbs, but especially in Proverbs. Do not put your trust in wealth. Psalms, do not put your trust in princes. Essentially the same thing. Don't put uh, your trust in chariots. Like Yeah, there's yeah, Proverbs all, 20. All there's there's the a place. there's a scripture that says the rich imagines his wealth in unscalable wall. How many rich men in 1929 imagined their wealth in unscalable wall and then ended up jumping out of buildings because their god was their stock account. Yeah. Think about 2008, same deal. Like how many people, they felt like their wealth was an immeasurable, unscalable wall. And then the housing market crashes. It's, it's a faulty God. Money is not immune to the forces of this world. It makes a terrible master, but an excellent servant as an 80 year old friend of mine used to say. And so better, better to master money than to let it Master you. So go and learn what scripture says about money front to back, front to back, because almost every book in the Bible talks about views on wealth. And if you really want to soak in what God thinks about money, there are some tremendous passages, Deuteronomy 8, 1 Timothy 6. We see it all throughout the gospels, Jesus talking about money, the book of Proverbs, even the book of Psalms talks a lot about wealth, how to view it. Don't put your trust in it is a theme Mm -hmm. over and over and over. That's step one on the practicals 
to how to handle money is you got to go and find out what scripture says about it. And then the second thing is what you said earlier, get financially literate, learn the rules of the game in the world around us. I remember when I first got married, my wife said, you don't know anything about money. Here's my mentor, go learn from him. And so I did. And I just started devouring any literature I could on money, what to do with money. And it was Christian based. It had scripture uh, laced throughout these books I was reading. Other than, th- than this book, one of the first books I read was a book called A Woman's Guide to Financial Peace of Mind. Good, good. <laughs> one of the first books I read on financial literacy. Place. Great starting place. Um, I, I took the Dave Ramsey course. I started reading everything. I read Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. I read Kiyosaki. I started reading a lot of a guy named Larry Burkett, who was way back, you know, in the seventies and eighties, but his stuff is gold to this day because he just talks about being wise, being conservative, being smart and being Christ-like in the way you handle the dollars that God trusts you with. Cause one of the things we talked about last week that should always be with us is it all belongs to God's. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It says in Psalms, everything belongs to God. In another place, it says the cattle on a thousand hills belong to God, essentially saying everything does, right? Like who could even imagine owning that many cattle? Some people do, but um, essentially the point is God owns everything. I read investing newsletters, um, even just in recent years, as I continue to want to learn and grow, I subscribe to Instagram accounts that educate you financially. Um, I'm always trying to get 20-something-year-old men to follow um, Making Money Simple, the Henry Washington, or the Henry Washington, I should say, um, Better Wallet. There are all these just simple Instagram accounts, some of them by young guys that are just sound wisdom, I've found. I jumped into some investing groups. I'm an investing in an investing group to this day. I'm in two right now. And the whole goal is to sharpen each other and to influence each other to be wise with our money. Um, and you would think they'd be all about making money. But one of these investing groups that I'm in right now, a lot of the group texts can become at times, hey, guys, are you being generous? Here's something that uh, we're all giving to. One of the guys in the group text like a month ago said, hey, my neighbor um, is struggling financially. Someone broke out her back window. And would you guys be willing to throw some money my way on Venmo so we can buy that? I think it was like 300 bucks. I can't remember, three, 400 bucks. Um, and the guys kicked in. And, so cool. we, and we bought a window for, for Miss Teresa. I told him it sounded like a, a nonprofit windows for <laughs> Teresa. <laughs> I was like, is this the start it. of something, man? Hey, um, but man, I started getting in groups like that and learning there are terms that I don't know that I need to learn. I, I've had several mentors over the years that I've approached specifically. I think of John, I think of Jeff, I think of Jay, uh, I think of Scott. These are men that I've gone to and said, Will you teach me more, uh, Aaron, about money and how it works? Because I don't want to be naive in this world. I love what you just touched on, too, of like where your motivations lie. That's so cool from your investing group. Like that gets me so fired up. One of my best friends has this real estate investing dream where he almost creates like this neighborhood um, of properties that he has owned for multiple purposes, some to Airbnb to turn a profit to cover those properties, but some to to rent for free or for very cheap to um, missionary minded families, couples, even singles, and also to refugees to almost create a type of neighborhood where the gospel can spread to the nations 
like right here in our city. And I'm like, man, that is such a cool dream. I hope that that comes to fruition. I hope he keeps taking steps towards that and um, getting educated and taking some big jumps financially to make that a dream come true. But I'm like, man, that's so cool. Like his desire is not just to accumulate for himself. His desire is to do some radically cool ministry with, with that money. Unless he's next in line for a big inheritance, that's going to take other investors. But as you explain that just now, my heart started beating faster. I'm like, that's the type of thing I would love to invest in. That's yeah, the you're type like, of you're thing. like, get me in on that. Yeah. I mean, that's the type of thing that it's more than just an ROI. It's a kingdom ROI that you're going to actually make this. Explain an ROI because I didn't even know what an ROI was until a couple of weeks ago when yeah, you told me. So what that's an ROI. a return on investment. So anytime you're looking at buying us any kind of asset, whether it be a stock, a bond, or uh, a piece of real estate, or um, maybe even a classic car that you're going to fix up and sell for more. You want to think about how much am I going to spend and what is going to be the percentage return? If I have to spend a thousand dollars to buy something, but then I can sell it, you know, a year later after just a little bit of work for 1250, that's a $250 return on a thousand bucks, which is a 25% return. So when you say kingdom ROI, you're thinking through what we touched on last episode of that idea of storing up treasures in heaven. Jesus says there are returns available to us of 30, 60, and 100 fold. Mm. He wasn't talking about, I don't think, here on earth. I think he was talking about soil, mm. kingdom soil. And so when Jesus said that, I think he's saying, man, there are some, some kingdom investments out there that, that you can throw money at so to speak, that's not throwing money at it because you're going to see it again. Mm. You're going to see God work. Like when, when your friend talks about that vision right there, again, unless he's standing in line to, to receive a huge inheritance, that's going to have to get, which uh, he's not, which is part of the point is that like, that's going to take some serious like dedication and time and not just that, but like answered prayers and people coming into his life providing like, I hope he doesn't wait 40 years to do that thinking, I have to save enough money and, and invest money in real estate and make money in the stock market so that one day I can do this all by myself. I hope instead he goes, how can I make this happen in 10 years? He shouldn't do it in a year because his vision's probably not clear yet. But if it, if he does it in 10 years or 12 years from now, he'll be able to develop the relationships with backers and investors and people who go, yes, I care about the return on investment, but I care even more about the kingdom return on investment and so he's going to have to figure out how to pitch that and everything. But yeah, things like that, dude, that is so cool, man. I love it. That gets me fired up. So yeah, it's not all about making money. In fact, it's not about making money at all to make your life more comfortable. If the only reasons you're out there trying to invest money is so that you can have more toys or so that your life can be more comfortable, to me, that's a really small vision. It's pretty hollow. Yeah. It is. Now, again, like I, I don't want to say that anybody who has toys is wrong. No. Uh, again, I was, as I mentioned last week, that was young Christian me. When I was a young, immature Christian, 21 years old, I pretty much knew how much money everyone should spend on whatever it was. And because, you know, I pointed myself judge of the world, which was silly. Now I look back and I go, man, every person's got to face God one day. I've got to answer to God for my financial decisions. I want to make wise decisions. Not every dollar I spend is super wise, right? Sometimes I just do fun stuff. Is there anything wrong with that? You no. talk about toys. You just you just invested in a couple of really nice mountain bikes. But what that's allowing for is not just you ripping around having fun. You bought a guest bike 
so that guys like me who don't have sweet mountain bikes can come ride with you. But then it creates awesome space for us to hang out, for you to hang out with other younger guys, for you to just hang out with friends. I think that's awesome. Oh man, so, so much good has already come out of that second bike. I did. I bought one mountain bike because I wanted to go ride the trails around here in the desert. And on my first ride, I was like, this is boring. I'm alone. (laughs) I don't want to do this alone every time. I need a guest bike, you know, because everybody I asked to go ride with me on that ride said, no, I don't have a bike, but I'd love to do it. So dude, literally later that night, I drove to Vegas and bought a bike off of a guy. You're not joking about that either. I got a text from you at 7 PM. You're like, Hey man, you want to drive to Vegas and get a mountain bike with me? I'm like, right now? Vegas (laughs) is five hours away. So it wasn't a small ask. Uh, I ended up going, uh, Shout out to Bo, man. Bo went with me. Yeah, Bo, I hope you're listening. Shout out, Bo. <laughs> we got back at 6.30 in the morning, uh, but we had the guest bike in tow, man. It was awesome. It was worth it, man. I'm already reaping the benefits of that. So that's an example, though, of an awesome thing that like, yeah, those are like fun toys that you went and bought. But that's creating um, awesome actual connection with other people. All of that under become financially literate. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Go buy mountain bikes. You know, Logan, it was so interesting when Kim and I first got married, we had a guy really challenge us. He said, I want to challenge you to make two commitments and not just talk about them. I want to challenge you to put them on paper. And we did. We put two commitments on paper and we signed our names to this piece of paper. And this, this is what the two commitments were. The first one was this, that we were going to stick to a written spending plan like glue, a budget, a budget. Yeah. We were going to live by a budget. We weren't going to loosely live like a budget. We weren't going to sort of act like we had a budget that wasn't written down. We committed with our signatures, man, in blood, that we are going to write a budget and we're going to live by it. I'll never forget, man, the first time we wrote that budget, my my wife brought a dog into the uh, marriage. And the first time we wrote that budget, uh, Chloe, the dog's name, Chloe the poodle had, had a budget cut. And she wasn't going to have the haircuts that she used to have. And she wasn't going to get some of the food that she was used to eating. No more glamorous grooming for the dog. There were actually tears, man. I wish Kim was here to tell the story because I, it sounds like I was being a punk. It was literally like we were just praying like, Lord, how do we live on the small amount of money that in all frankness that we're making right now? And part of it was Chloe had to take a small budget cut. It was tough, man. It was tough to actually set a budget and to live by it, almost no single guys that I know do it. That's something I'm definitely trying to grow in. I love how you talk about how living on a budget forces you to trust God. Would you flush that out a little bit, just like what that actually means? One of the reasons we said we're going to write a budget and stick to a written spending plan like glue is we wanted to grow in our faith. Here's what people do. They go through life, their refrigerator goes out, they take out the credit card if they don't have the money and they go down to Lowe's, they buy it on payments or they buy it on their credit card, just swipe it and the refrigerator comes the next day, they're good to go. We had some mentors early on in our marriage challenge us not to live life like that. They said, I think you're going to miss out on the blessings that God wants to provide that a lot of Americans in the American church miss out on because they just swipe a card and worship the card instead of worshiping Jesus. Again, this is a tremendous area, finances, for God to show up in, in, in very practical, empirical ways. So we said that when we have needs, instead of swiping credit cards or freaking out, uh, which I haven't always kept that commitment, um, that we're going to pray. And then we're going to say, Lord, we're trusting you. We feel like in our culture, having a car is a need. 
because there's not a ton of public transportation where we're living right now. And, you know, in order, order to do our jobs and live our lives effectively, a car is an actual need, right? Where, whereas it isn't in a lot of the world. Mm-hmm. And so we said, Lord, we're going to trust you for this. And so when our car would break down, obviously we were saving each month uh, money to pay for those uh, needs to the mechanic and everything. But at the same time, we were also praying and saying, Lord, will you provide for us along the way? And we had so many cool ways that God provided uh, for us, big and small ways, that he provided things that maybe through a neighbor or through a family member. Again, we, we weren't beggars. We weren't going around you know, trying to get everybody else to do for us what we should do for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but we said, we're going to look to God first. And man, it totally changed the way we viewed um, a car's engine going out or having our uh, AC at the house go out. It became, let's pray about this instead of let's panic about this or let's swipe a credit card. Man, that's so good. Sean, you mentioned that you and Kim made two commitments on that piece of paper. What was the second one? The second commitment was just as significant for us. And it was this, that we would never go into debt for anything except for a home. We said we would never go into debt for a car or any kind of luxury item or a vacation or anything that wasn't a home because we felt like a home was an appreciating asset. Now I will say I've changed over the years some. <clears throat> I've come across some can't miss opportunities that I felt like if I borrow a little bit of money here and I go and make a business decision, I could make a little bit more money over there and get a return. And we have been able to do that several times with God's blessing. But it was so good for us to start out at first saying, we're not going to into debt for anything except for a home. To this day, we haven't ever bought a car with debt. We've always driven used cars. My wife drove a Honda Odyssey to 437,000 miles. Wow, that's epic. <laughs> we, we ended up selling it. I drove it down to Dallas and we sold it for 200 bucks. <laughs> that's legendary. Dude, I think I got ripped off. I, w- I would have loved, I would love to, maybe he got ripped off. I don't know. The rack, there was a bike rack on that car that I think was worth 200 bucks. <laughs> but, but here's what happened, man. We would, we, because we had, but here's what happened, man. Because we had that commitment to not go into debt for anything except for a home, we just never considered it. We said, if it calls for debt, the answer is no. And those were the exact words of our mentor. If it calls for debt, the answer is no. I'd kind of like to have that. Well, do you have the money for it? Well, not really. Well, then the answer is no. Why would you think that God wants you to have something when he hasn't provided for you or you haven't worked out, you know, gone and worked and grinded to earn the money to pay for it? Just, just don't even go there. That's such an important principle, especially for guys my age to hear for college guys and for guys right on the heels of college. Cause I mean, I guarantee a large percentage of guys listening right now are in some kind of student debt or approaching some kind of student debt. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of guys listening right now and myself included that have had rocky relationships with credit cards in the past and, and experiencing some debt there. This needs to be a commandment that we live by <laughs> the, I will not go into debt for anything except a house. And that's probably later on the horizon for a lot of guys. Easy to say, hard to live by, but if it calls for debt, the answer is no. And ultimately you realize, man, there's just so much out there that I don't actually need. There's so much out there that I want, but I don't need. And ultimately those things become idols. It's like, I can't be happy or comfortable or have peace or feel good about myself unless I have this brand or that shirt or that car. And it's like, no, actually you're good, man. 
it comes down to the heart as well, just in the idea of contentment. I, I think I've mentioned this book on the podcast before, but if, if you're interested in this some more, there's a book by this guy, John Mark Comer. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And there's a section in the back half of the book where he touches on this idea of simplicity. And it's not just simplicity of items and goods that you possess. It's a simplicity of the heart as well. And so if this is something you struggle with, just contentment and material possessions, that'd be an awesome read. Phenomenal, phenomenal book. Yeah, I remember over the years, I'm so thankful for Kim, which by the way, guys, if you're if you're making your list, if you're single and you're making your list, what are the qualities I'm looking for in a wife? The one that Logan just mentioned is gold, content. Man, if she is content, if she's not greedy, if she's generous, if she's a giver, if she doesn't have to live large, right? And you can see like, man, is someone a big time shopper? Are they always out swiping that card, you know, flashing that card left and right? It's like, "Mm, that would make me nervous, man. I needed to marry somebody who was lower maintenance. I needed to marry somebody who had that in check. Okay. And Kim did. And it was so cool because over the years we started saving for vehicles like any, you know, any single or married person should do. You're driving a car now. Uh, There's actually a YouTube video called Drive Free Cars for Life on YouTube, which is an incredible video that shows you how you don't have to ever go into debt for a vehicle. <clears throat> and now I'll, I will warn you, Logan, I've watched guys watch this video and basically explain it away. Ah, it doesn't really work or what, you know, that's just not how the world works. Well, actually it does because I've done it for the last 25 years. Exactly as that video says to do it is exactly how I've done it. And I've never actually gone and borrowed money for a car actually in my whole life. And so as we saved up for our cars over the years, here's what happened. Every time we'd have about, you know, 10 or 14,000, something like that saved to buy a new car, I'd go to my wife and say, Hey, I'm cool driving the car. I am. I'd really like to buy an investment, maybe a rental property. That's usually what I like to do. I think we could get a rental property with only about, you know, 14, 15,000 down, but I want you to have a car like your car is getting a little older. Do you want to have a car like a new car? You know, for us, it would be a new used car. And she would always say the same thing. I feel safe in this one. If I don't feel safe, then I want to get a new car, but I feel safe in this one. So go get you a rental property. Well, over the years, every time she said no to a new to her car, I would go buy a rental property. And over the years we built up to like, you know, nothing crazy, five, six rental properties. That's substantial though. From those rental properties, guess what we did? Bought cars. Yeah. Those rental properties paid for our vehicles. So in a sense, we never had to pay for a vehicle our entire married lives to this day because she was willing to say no in the short term to something that maybe she wanted so that later she could say yes in the long term. Man, that's awesome. Two big commitments, man. Stick to a written spending plan like glue, a budget. Uh, Again, guys, I challenge you as a single man, write one out and live by it. Uh, some of you guys might be practicing the Dave Ramsey where you pull out the envelopes and you got the envelope for groceries and the one for gas. And that one's a real pain because it's so much easier to pay at the pump. You got the envelope for eating out. You got the envelope for entertainment. You got the envelope for, I don't know, for investing or something. Probably not. You're probably just doing that electronically, but living on those envelopes over the years was so helpful for us to actually see the money where it went. And it helped us not overspend because once the cash is gone, that's the beauty of it. And that's what Dave Ramsey teaches. And I don't agree with a hundred percent of what he teaches, but I love the idea that once that cash is gone out of that envelope, say the grocery envelope for the month, I can't go to the grocery store anymore. 
So I need to learn to ration. I need to learn to budget. I need, it's, it takes self-control. Yeah. It takes planning. Proverbs says, go to the ant. You sluggard, go learn from the ant. Consider its ways. Be wise, right? There are all these animals around us in nature that store up for the winter, right? And we can look at these animals and go, what can we learn from them? That's what it says in Proverbs. So that's the first one, man. Live by that budget. And then secondly, never go into debt for anything except for a home. Again, we've, we've varied a little bit on that one over the years on some business decisions, but the bigger principle is, man, pray first, trust God first, that he's going to provide what you need. Matthew six, seek first his kingdom. All these other things will be given to you. It's a way to trust God and be patient, man. I was so impatient. I just wanted to go swipe a card. I just wanted to go, you know, be the be the answer to my prayer. I wanted to go, you know, figure it out on my own. And so many times God wants us to just sit down, trust him, claim a promise, pray it to him and see what he does. You end up with better stories, man. Mm, I love that. Sean, those two commitments are huge. And I hope that um, listeners take them seriously. I'm for sure going to. Um, Thanks for sharing that. And I think I would love for you to touch on too. You touched on it briefly a couple of times, but I would love for you to elaborate on this idea of the big four. Will you talk through what, what even is the big four and how should guys start to navigate the big four? Yeah. So when our sons were younger, we had four envelopes that we gave each of them. We paid them each a dollar a week. This is when they're like, uh, this was when they're like, you know, six, seven, eight years old. So we'd pay them $4 a week as their commissions. Dave Ramsey talks about commissions, which I love versus allowance. Allowance is almost like training them to just receive for doing nothing. Commissions is what commissions are what salespeople get when they actually go outside and kill something and bring it home to eat. And you give them a portion of that. That's a commission. So we would give our boys commissions each Saturday morning. We give them four bucks. All right. And so we would give them four envelopes and here were the big, uh, well, here were the envelopes. The envelopes were give, save, invest, spend. And so they had to put a dollar in each. They were given 25%, but I didn't want to do the hard math of, you know, giving 40 cents, 10% and right. all that. So they was give, save, invest, spend. And so every week they'd put a dollar in give, take it to church, put it in the offering. They'd save a dollar. Uh, then they'd invest some, and then they'd have money to spend. Those two in the middle, save and invest, what we put that money toward is what we call the big four for our sons. And that was money for a car, college, a ring to put on a woman's finger one day, and a house. Car, college, ring, and house. Now, I would say once they got much older, you know, 18, 19, 20, like if you went up to one of those guys today and said, hey, what are your big four? How much is in each one? They'll probably look at you like, what are you talking about? (laughs) But it got them in the habit of thinking more long-term and going, okay, here are some things that I need to be saving money for. And those guys save money to this day. They're invested in the stock market some, which is, which is really cool. But, um, it's just so important that we participate in the things that God says we participate in when it comes to money, right? That we earn it with integrity, right? Again, all we talked about this last week, you know, all throughout the Proverbs, don't exploit the poor. I think of Proverbs 22, it says, whoever oppresses the poor, for his own increase, will come to poverty. Uh, we earn it with integrity. And then we give, right? That's the first step when money comes to us. We give. Uh, Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with the first fruits mm. of all he gives you. Um, and then we save. Some people don't think save is even biblical. When I was 23 years old, I didn't think saving was biblical. I was like, well, I could either save or I could trust God. Well, I'm going to trust God, <laughs> <Yeah>. obviously, <laughs> yeah. right? Duh. 
and yet, why does it say in Proverbs twenty one twenty? It says the house of the wise is full of rich food and choice oils, but the foolish man devours all he has. Mm. Right. And here I was gloating in my spirituality because I was giving away money. I literally, when I was in my early twenties, I would get my paycheck, I would give, then I would live, I would save nothing. And if I had money left at the end of the month, I would give again. Now that sounds very generous. I'm like, wow, dude, that's super godly of you. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I was, I look, I, you know, I was thinking, man, I'm, I'm the man. Like I'm crushing it. And yet Proverbs 21, 20 says I was a fool. I devoured all I had. I was like the farmer who had a bunch of seed from a harvest and decided to eat it all instead of replanting any. Mm. It's like, dude, you got to go replant some. You got to plant some in the kingdom. That's giving. You got to plant some in your own field, right? That's saving and investing. And then you can eat some. That's spending, mm. right? We can learn a lot from that. I even think about that First Timothy section that we read last week, um, those good things that God created for us to enjoy. Like that's part of the the spending aspect of it is that God wants to us to enjoy his good creation. And then the last one of those being invest, earn with integrity, give, save, spend, and then ultimately invest. Is it Christ-like to invest? hundred percent. What do we think the parable of the talents is about? I don't think it's only about money. Okay. I'm not saying that. There's for sure some bigger meaning there, but yeah. Absolutely. God wants us to take what he's given us whether it be money or gifts or relationships, whatever God has entrusted us with, we are supposed to multiply. Whatever it may be, we are supposed to go out and cause an increase. And so when it comes to investing, there are so many different ways to invest. We're not going to get into those today. I would encourage you guys to go and learn. Uh, Man, obviously there's stocks, bonds, crypto, there's real estate. There are so, so many ways that you can go out and invest. Logan, I'm personally, you know, a real estate guy. I love real estate. I'm like trying to bring people to Christ, trying to disciple them and then saying, all right, Hey dude, you got to invest in real estate. That's like (laughs) one of the core things you got to do in this life. They aren't making more real estate. They are making more people. Uh, I'm a huge believer in it. I'm a huge believer in coastline real estate, uh, because there's only so much coastline. We, We could get off on a major tangent here, but maybe we just start a whole nother podcast for you to let it rip, <laughs> man. I'm not bigger pockets enough. already exist though. That'd be a great resource. Would highly encourage you guys out there to go and listen to bigger pockets podcast. If you have any interest in investing in real estate at all, real estate was great for us, Logan, just investing in rental properties because it gave me a place to train my sons in work ethic, diligence, self-denial, and just the basics of finance. You know, I brought them in early. We taught her, I share my bank accounts with my kids. I share with my kids what we're doing uh, with real estate. Um, at Christmas this last year, I kind of did a state of the union with, with my family, kind of state of the spiritual union of our family and then state of the financial union. Um, and which I, that's rare, Sean, like that's really rare for a dad to do that with his family, at least from my context and what I've experienced. And what I've heard and people I've met, that, that that is rare. Yes. I remember one time uh, I asked a friend of mine to send me his budget because I was working on mine. And I've shared this in a previous episode, but uh, I just said, hey, could you send me yours? Because you make about what I make. And I'm just wondering what you guys spend on what. And he sent it to me. And uh, he called me that day and he goes, man, I feel like I just pulled my pants down. Right. Seriously. <laughs> and I think there are a lot of parents that feel that way. They're either embarrassed of their financial uh, state or, uh, and they don't want to talk about it, or they don't really know how to communicate with their kids about money. 
To me, it's extremely important. I bring my kids in. If I'm thinking about making an investment, if I'm thinking about even sometimes making a financial gift, um, I'll bring my boys in and ask them, hey, what do you think about that? Now, do I think when they're 13, 14, 15 years old, they have any valuable insight for that? Probably not. Probably not, but you'd be amazed. Um, out of the mouths of babes, sometimes you get some amazing things, but yes, probably not. But just me asking them the question shows them I value them. I value their opinion and it makes them start thinking, hmm, maybe I should think about this. And you're creating space too for, yeah, you guys to dialogue about those things, which is important in and of itself. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I've been encouraged, man. I look at our two older sons and man, they grind. They're out there working. One of them's in real estate school and about to go back into college. Um, and he's got two jobs right now. He's working extremely hard. Our, our other son has probably worked 25 jobs in his life and he's only 20 years old. And I have so much admiration and respect for him. And, and both the guy, both of them really know how to handle money. It, it's impressive to watch them do it. I'm sure they'll make a ton of mistakes just like I have, but I, I do think it's important for parents to kind of bring their kids in on some sort of a state of the financial union. Yeah. That's awesome. Sean, we touched on a lot of different things. These last couple of episodes, we touched on the principles of money, how to, how to look at it and handle it the right way. This episode, we touched on a lot of practicals. We talked about some of those big commitments. We talked about mastering your money rather than lettering, letting it master you. We talked about um, all these different kinds of ways that we can become financially literate. Uh, we talked about the big four. We talked about earning and giving and saving and spending and investing. I think this was a really, really awesome jumping off point for all of us to, to become wiser stewards with our money. Man, I'm no expert, but I look back on myself at 25 and I was definitely playing the fool. And if I can learn about this and I can be successful with this, then anybody can. I want to challenge you guys, man, start living on a budget, actually write it down, stay within it as a matter of personal discipline, as a matter of learning self-control, it will go so far as you continue to grow your character and your bank account. Man, Sean, that's awesome. So many of us are getting mastered by money right now, and I'm really encouraged at the prospect of all of us being able to master our money rather than being mastered by it. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for having this conversation with us. As we've mentioned a handful of times, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out to us at endangeredspeciespodcast at gmail.com. Get in touch with us. We'd love to hear your feedback, positive, negative, everything in between. And we're encouraged at this idea of becoming a, a herd of godly men who are not only financially literate, but are financially wise and financially generous and can really honor God with our finances in this area. And so let's get out and do it. Uh, this, if this knowledge just stays in our heads, then it's, we've wasted our time here. So let's go live it out.